You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Hi, friends. I hope you're doing well. Hey, guess what? I'm going to be in the Shift Network Beyond the Veil Summit starting October 31st on Halloween through November 4th. And I want you to come join me. This is incredible. We've got tons of amazing speakers. I'm going to take you on a guided journey and you're going to find answers to the big questions that you have in your life and have tools and resources to help you go beyond the veil. So join me October 31st through November 4th. I'll have the links below and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hey friends, welcome to season 13 of the Healing Arts Podcast. I thank you for listening to my show. I cannot believe it's season 13 already. That's insane. So of course I wanted to think of something fun and spooky, especially since it's Halloween and you know how much I love Halloween. So today I'm going to be talking to one of my very favorite people in the world, Dacre Stoker, who happens to be the great grandnephew of Dracula author Bram Stoker. You're going to love what he has to say. It's incredible. And before we get into the show, um, I just want to thank everybody for ordering Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds. It's been on the bestsellers list for longer than any of my other books, and I'm so grateful. And so we're going to be doing some guided imagery from that book, and I'm going to be doing more talks about that book throughout this entire season. Um, giving you some actual guided journeys that you can take and mixing those up with some of the special guests that we're going to have on the show. And also, the book was noted as one of the top 10 inspiring books of the month of October by Inspire Magazine, or Aspire Magazine, I should say. So um, again, I'm just grateful for the support. I can't believe it. I'm very, very grateful and excited. And I'm super excited to start this 13th season of Healing Arts Podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. So I hope you're doing well. There'll be a a little bit of transitional music, and then we'll get into the show today. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I am not sure that you are aware of all the wonderful and amazing friends that I have, but today we've got one of them on the show. My friend Dacre Stoker, you may recognize that last name Stoker because guess what? He's the great grandnephew of Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, which happens to be one of, if not my very, very favorite books of all time. Definitely my favorite in the horror genre. Dacre, it's a joy to see you again. Welcome to the show. Shelly, thank you. It's been it's too long since a, a, a recent meeting at the Horror Writers Gathering in Long Island. Uh, lots have happened since then. I'm sure good stuff for you as well as for me, but uh, w- wonderful to be here and to talk about all things Dracula, spiritual, Bram Stoker, all that cool stuff. So yeah, great to see you. It's great to see you. Wow, I'm so excited 
Um, you know, they say that the apple don't fall far from the tree, friends. And Dacre has some amazing books. We're going to have his link to his author page. Um, back when I first met Dacre, he had written a book called Dracula, the Undead. And he's got lots and lots of books out. But we're here right now because guess what? It has been 125 years since Dracula came out. And so Dacre's put together an incredible new annotated version with some incredible research in it. Lovers of this book, which I am, and I know so many are, are gonna absolutely flip their lids over this. And I'm just so thrilled that I got a chance to see this. So tell us I, tell us about the journey you went on. And I, I wanna also bring up, you had a very special co-author on this who we really wanna honor at this time. So, so tell us about that partnership and then we'll, we'll just take it from there. Well, you know, it all depends how long we have. So I'll give you the short version, Shelley, and to your listeners. But, um, you know, I grew up in Montreal, Canada, uh, understanding that my uh, great-grandfather was Bram's youngest brother. So Bram was one of seven children. Only three had offspring. Bram's line and his youngest brother, George, are still active. All the others have, have died off, sadly. So I, I've decided in, in later in my life that it was you know, time for me to understand uh, both George Stoker, uh, my great-grandfather, and, and Uncle Bram, the famous one, because everybody's written all kinds of things about Bram. And I just you know, had, had this feeling that maybe it wasn't all accurate or it was just written to sell biographies or sell books. And then it also sort of dawned on me in, in this process, which started about 15 years ago, Shelley, that you know, the creator, Bram Stoker, is being overshadowed by his creation. Count Dracula and everything else that has, has spun off from there. So I felt it was just time to, to get to know him as a person. And in the process, there was getting to know George and some of the other brothers and sisters as well. And, and that has helped me tremendously, um, having been a school teacher and a coach, to understand the wiring of these people. That's what I did with my students and my athletes, is understand how they're wired to get the best performance from them. And in the case of Bram Stoker, I had to do a lot of research um, because there are things that are in different archives, museums, libraries, some private, some public, really spread all over the world. Um, George Stoker, a lot of things were in a trunk in, uh, that had been sent to us in Montreal, Canada. One of my uncles had it. So that was sort of easy. Uh, and I got to understand that George invented ozone therapy, if you could believe it, and did some really interesting things in the Balkan region and letters back to Bram may have given him insight into what we now know as Romania. But, but back to my sort of my quest to better understand Bram, um, I, I would go to these museums, libraries, private collections, you know, because I had a little credibility with the right surname and they'd let me in and, and we'd start discussing things. And then I'd find out, you know, are they digitized? Do I have to, what do I have to buy to access things to better? to better read these things and understand these sort of seminal documents. So it's, I say all this, Shelley, because it's all these sem seminal documents that have worked their way into this annotated Dracula for the 125th anniversary, along with Robert 18 Pizang. So I got to know Robert because he and Elizabeth Miller did an incredible thing probably 20 years ago now, they were able to get permission from the Rosenbach Museum in Philadelphia to transcribe and publish Bram Stoker's working notes for Dracula. Wow. That was hard enough because his handwriting was horrible. It took them about two years to, to do that and then to figure out the, the relevancy of these notes. But they also you know, got into some gold. And some of those that gold came back to help me later. Uh, and that is the they, Bram listed and they found these in his notes, all the books that Bram used for his research for Dracula that were sitting in the London Library. It used to be known as the British Museum Library. Then that changed and moved locations to the London Library. So Robert had a track record of deciphering Bram's notes and understanding the way Bram thinks. Elizabeth Miller was the person that I actually published since actually I first met you. Bram Stoker's Lost Journal. And she did the same thing with me. I got access to this journal that I found in my cousin's attic in the Isle of Wight, Bram Stoker's great-grandsons. 
they gave me images of every page, all 311 entries. Elizabeth and I took two years to decipher the handwriting, just like she did with the Dracula notes, and, and figure out what Bram was thinking of, what he was doing, what caught his attention while he was a university student at Trinity College and while he started working for Henry Irving. So it covered an 11-year period, sort of middle of his life. So I say all of that because the Dracula notes, the Lost Journal, the Dracula typescript that Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft owns, letters, these books in the London Library, all of these things along with Bessang and Miller was helpful as well, funneled into, Shelley, the two-year project of us writing this annotated Dracula. So that's the nutshell of my journey. It, it took two years for us to do. That has really, uh, we'll get into some of the specifics in a moment, but working with Robert was, was challenging. And, and everybody knows that Robert was very sort of high functioning, um, sort of, um, let's just say a, a scholar that enjoys books better than conversing with people. So we, 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 and we, we, we developed a good working relationship, but nonetheless, there was a lot of give and take on what goes in the book and what doesn't. And, and we, just, we, we, we worked on it nonstop for two years and uh, came up with a really good product. So that, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's where we're at at the moment. <laughs> Speaking of Ireland, I did get to go to Dublin and I know there's a lot of great things there, obviously like St. Patrick's Cathedral and the Guinness Brewery and stuff. But yes, I was at Trinity College and I saw the church where Brahm was married. And, you know, I was like, wow, this is great. I was almost more excited about that than I was about the rest of it. So it is really an incredible place to go if you love Bram Stoker. Well, I'm, gl I'm glad you got there because, you know, there is a vibe. Uh, I'm actually heading back there um, soon for the Bram Stoker Festival that is actually held over Halloween weekends. They've been obviously postponed during COVID. But, you know, that St. Anne's Church, I I'll tell you a funny story there, though, because in 2012, the 100th anniversary of, of Bram's death, there was a big service there. A lot of family came. We that was part of the festivities over this anniversary weekend and the uh, the vicar um, and I had been in contact just a couple of days prior to the service and um, we convinced one of Bram's great-grandsons uh, Robin McCaw to come over and actually read read you know something uh, I can't remember what it what it was a passage but he said to me he said now Dacre do you, do you think we could get a copy of Dracula to proceed up the aisle and, and, I, and my son, who was with me, who was actually a, a religion and an English major, sort of looked at me and said, no, Dad, I don't think that's a good idea. And, and, and I said, well, I, I know there's a sometimes conflict within the church that, you know, this is a, an evil and sort of devil-centric book. I said to the, to, to the, the vicar, I said, are you, you sure that's okay? He said, no, it's not a problem at all. We're going to have a copy of the Bible with it as well. You know, they're both books about good and evil where good wins out at the end. Exactly. And it's such a, you know, it's, it's wonderful how usually the Irish are men of many words, but he summed it up, you know, Dracula in about one sentence. And sure enough, there was a good friend in Dublin who has an incredible collection of, of Dracula books, which since this event, they've been sold, Shelley, to... Emory University's Rose Library. So this incredible collection of Mr. John Moore gets to stay together and they're now in Emory. They're in the process of being digitized so people like you and I can, can look into this. But John provided this first edition of Dracula, much like the one behind me here, this yellow mustard colored with the red writing. And they both proceeded down the aisle and, and my son Parker and I were like, waiting for a thunderclap or the ground to start to shake as he put it up on the altar next to the Bible during the service. Um, so that, that was our St. Anne's story, but I'm, I'm glad you got to see it. It's, it's a wonderful church. And, and today, many people go in there for regular services, but they also go in there to pay homage to where Bram Stoker and Florence Balcom got married before he then shipped off to London, to start working for Henry Irving. Wow. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, you bring up such a good point, which is true. And 
of course, the priest did as well. I mean, the, these stories, these horror literature or any kind of horror story, to me, I've always thought of it as metaphysical things that have gone wrong. And as he pointed out, yes, there's a force, but in, in Dracula, of course, he overcomes. I mean, here's, I, and the other thing I want to say before I forget that is, you know, I'm, I hope that younger people also actually read this story because like you said, the character of the vampire is so popular that I think sometimes we forget to go back to the actual source of it. And it is literally one of the most terrorizing, wonderful stories ever. I mean, he's looking out the window, this guy's crawling up the castle and he's trapped. And I mean, you're thinking you're right there with him, <clears throat> excuse me, in such immediacy. I mean, it's just one of the greatest books I've ever read. And I just well, hope I, that people will read it or go back to read it, you know, yeah. if they haven't already. And of course, we're going to have links to this new edition. Well, selfishly, uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And what I'll tell people is don't get fixated on the actual, you know, text that is obviously written back in 1897. It's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. Bram was very detail oriented and wanted to make sure that the dialects were correct. And that sometimes slows down, you know, Captain Swale speaking in a Yorkshire accent, um, other people speaking in different, you know, Romanian accents and so on. Don't worry about that. Just just keep reading, keep reading. Um, it, it, it is a good story. Uh, what, what I have done when I've written these sequels that you mentioned, uh, Drac the Undead and the prequel, uh, both with different co-authors, Ian, Ian Holt on the sequel and J.D. Barker on the prequel, is we decided to uh, massage and sort of modernize the language, but keep the period feel the same. You know, it's still that historic period, very accurate historically. Uh, things that were going on in the story were really going on during the, you know, the Victorian era. So we, we, I think we created that vibe, but we didn't kind of slow down or slog down the reader in these very complex sentence structures and, and words that are, might be difficult. So I, I totally agree. If you think you know Dracula because you've watched half a dozen movies, at some point go back and read the story. And, and, and here's the shameless plug we're getting at. So the book that Robert 18 Basang and I uh, have coming out by Hellbound Press very, very soon is really a multi-layered story as if Dracula needs more layers but what, what we did was we included findings from Bram Stoker's notes. And, and some of those findings are really quite cool because they also, what bears mention is when I was, and Robert did the same thing, analyzing the Dracula typescript, we realized that it started on page 102. So that means 101 pages were taken out of the story from the time it was typed up, it was taken out, extracted somehow, and that typescript handed over to Bram's publisher. At some point, the publisher and Bram sat down and made lots of handwritten notes, cut some more things out. So what we know Bram did was cut out at least 17 of those pages was the short story that's been published or what became the short story, Dracula's Guest. So if any of your listeners really want to understand the full Dracula that Bram intended to write, we've inserted Dracula's guest back into it. We've also inserted the ending of Dracula that was extracted or edited out. And then in note form, because nobody has ever found any more of those 102 pages or 101 pages, we know from his structure of his notes, Shelley, that he had a lot of letters written back and forth between different lawyers and the count, different people to make arrangements for the Jonathan Harker character to go to Transylvania. So what I say in my introduction to this, and I glean this because of my in-depth analysis of Bram, he was writing hundreds of letters a day for his theatrical management job. That's the way people communicated back in the day. So right. it would stand to reason that if he was setting up the story to have a, a, a young solicitor from 
London, head over to Transylvania, there would have been lots of letters back and forth, much like Bram would have done when he was setting up a theatrical production, organizing everything, setting the stage for all these different people to be on the same page. What day you're coming here? What are you doing? That was one of these first chapters, was all these letters back and forth. Now, we've got them from the notes who the letters were to and from, but we don't have the actual text of the letters. Were they ever written? Probably, we just don't know where they ended up. And then the other really cool thing is chapter two is what was actually going on during the travel of Harker when he left London, stopped in Paris, went on to Munich, Vienna, Budapest, and so on. Because Dracula, as we know it, starts with Harker in the train in Vienna, going into Oreda and then Klausenberg and you know, much closer. So my gut feeling, Shelley, tells me his editor said, we've got to take this out. It's too long. Because we also know back in those days, anything over 400 pages was a lot of, of paper, which was expensive in the day. And it's a lot of reading. So that's one thing Robert and I found was references to things that this Harker type character did. They didn't say the name Harker in the notes, but we know it's Harker. He goes to visit the Munich dead house, the, the, the mortuary, you know, the, and, wow. and back in those days, as you well know, because I know, Shelley, we chatted about this, you know, people were having to be laid out in the mortuary with lots of flowers because there was no air conditioning to deal with the right. smell to make sure they were not mistakenly burying somebody prematurely, you know, with the bells and those things attached to the feet. So that scratch marks. Yes. So all of all of these things were integrated into the story um, and and Bram made reference to them in his notes. So we include that in the annotated as early chapters. And we don't try to fudge it and fill in the story. We just give what what Bram was talking about in his notes with a minor intro. The other thing we do is we include some of the changes that occurred throughout the typescript. For instance, Bram was so detail-oriented that when he was told to extract Dracula's guest, we see throughout the rest of the story, the typescript, that he had to go in and cross out anything that referred to things that happened in Dracula's guest. That's, that's ah. obvious, right? So there was something, and I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say there was some furry animal that was licking the throat of Jonathan Harker um, in Dracula's guest. In Dracula, it's no longer there because it's crossed out in the typescript. It says, my throat is still sore from the razor-like tongue of the X that was licking my throat. That had to come out because that wouldn't have made sense if there was no earlier reference to it. Wow. So there's proof, Shelley, that that Dracula's guest was part of it. And that happened three more times. So we have reinserted those and underlined them so you can see what was taken out. As well as, which I think is really cool, Bram's brother, his oldest brother, was a famous doctor. He was actually the head of the Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland. His name was William Thornley Stoker. He was knighted actually at one point. So he was Sir William Thornley Stoker. He was the one that helped Bram with all medical things in Dracula. So anything that was medical, transfusions, brain trepanation, you know, the surgery on Renfield in chapter 21. Yes. And then also all that sort of psychological mental issues with, with Renfield as a patient, Thornley Stoker served both as a uh, physiological doctor as well as a, a psychological. He was a, a helped mental patients as well. He worked in both hospitals. So he was Bram's source of how is Renfield supposed to act? What's he supposed to say? What are his vocal patterns? So you can see in Bram's notes, different handwriting that's Thornley's. And then you can see in the typescript, there are places where Bram actually was corrected by his brother. His, his brother said, no, the person would have been sitting down for this, or this type of knife is not used for this, or this type of scalpel is not used for this, it's used for this. So you get some really cool insight 
into the whole process. And to kind of sum it up and give you the floor back, um, this is how I think it is. And you've written books, Shelley. So you, you think of this. If one of your fans was allowed to look over your shoulder throughout the whole process of you creating a book, or in this case, the readers looking over Bram's shoulder, you know, long before he passed away, you get to see his process and you get to see what stayed in, what comes out, and you get to see the finished product. I think it's incredible. I mean, it really does speak though to the fact that every writer does have that. If you've got an editor, they're making you cut stuff. Maybe you didn't want to cut it, but that what you're presenting here is so amazing because it is, it's his original vision, how he saw it, how he channeled it or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I saw, I read somewhere also that he really was just doing this part-time. Is that right? Like he wasn't a full-time writer. I mean, it's just amazing what he did when he wasn't even putting full attention to it. That, that, that's a good point. I, I think, uh, well, first of all, yeah, he was the theatrical manager for the Lyceum Theater and the, and the personal manager of Henry E. Irving. So for 27 years, he was in the center of the literary world and the theatrical world. And he was balancing these, these, this main job, which was you know, very involved. But on his holidays, this is when the writing would take over. And, and I now have definitive proof because of a fellow author, Mike Shepard in Cruden Bay, Scotland, which is north of Aberdeen uh, in a town called Cruden Bay, it used to be called Port Errol. Bram, Bram spent at least 12, 14 of his summer holidays there. We found records of that. Shelley, that's his writing retreat. Not only did he write major parts of Dracula there, but he wrote The Water's Mow, which is Scottish for the mouth of the river. Um, the Mystery of the Sea, and he also wrote parts of Layer of the White Worm. And it was a place that Bram actually really sort of identified with as a, as a comforting place, as a place where he could go and get away from the crowd in, in uh, London. But also, I think he had a connection there to sort of a spiritual world. I really, I really think that his, his understanding that he gleaned from Walt Whitman of the concept of pantheism, that you know all religions are okay, Mother Earth is the, is the almighty power, and identify with the, 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 the sea, the sky, the earth, and everything that goes with it, that's the, the power. And in this location, and I've been there twice, three times now, I feel the same way, that it's kind of like where everything comes together physically. You, you stand on this beach, and, and, and when the waves aren't crashing because of a storm, you could almost see, you know, all, all the way to the horizon. I mean, you could almost see Norway, but it's sort of, this is flat and it connects to the sand. It connects to the, the sand dunes. There's no mountains around. It's all as one. But when the tide is, is low, what is exposed are these rocks and, and really incredible granite pink rocks showing what was, and Mike is a geologist, so he knows a massive upheaval millions of years ago of the powers of the underworld that brought up all these rocks. And, and I think what, what Bram got out of that is this connection to a, a Freemason's term, you know, what is above is below. And this all sort of comes together. And th this, was, this was Bram's place where he felt himself. I'm not sure, Shelley, if you have one of those places to write. I, I do up in the mountains of North Carolina. Bram had that place in Cruden Bay, Scotland. And this, this is where he had to get away from Irving and all those responsibilities. And this is where he wrote when he was on the side. And, and also, I think he did a fair amount of writing when he was crossing the Atlantic with the Lyceum Theater. Uh, mm -hmm. He had eight visits to America, which means 16 crossings. I think he got a lot of writing done there as well. Wow, that's incredible. You know, one of the nonfiction books I've put out is called Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. And it's about this ancestral connection that we all have to our ancestors. And now, Dacre, um, legit people like the CDC and, you know, National Institutes of Health are actually talking about the fact that they've clinically proven 
that a lot of our behavior and our actual personalities is coming straight through from the ancestors. And so you have really put that forth, let's just say, in, in a way that's very special and valuable. But I really do think there is something to going as you have to the places where your ancestors enjoyed themselves, feeling that connection. And then, you know, you are actually doing something very major with that kind of energy. So what do you think about, I mean, do you sense, I mean, this sounds pretty, I guess, cliche on some level, but I'm really serious. Like, do you sense Bram Stoker um, when you're working on this, your ancestor? Well, you know, obviously I, I'm, I'm not a PhD like you are in this. So it, this is not as thorough what I'm about to say, and it's not as educated, but I feel there was, there is some connection there. Um, I have often felt when I've been investigating these things, looking at the notes, my process, that I feel that, first of all, that there's some of my father that I have obviously inherited genetically, not just his physical characteristics, which there are certainly quite a, quite a lot of, but his, his methodology, the way he operates. Like I said earlier in the show, the way you're wired. So I feel I do things like the way my dad did. Well, I, did, I never met his father. He died long before I was born. So that's, you know, that is the son of Bram's brother. So it sort of makes sense. When I start looking at things George Stoker did, Bram's youngest brother, my great-grandfather, and Bram, and I start reading things, I'm going, oh my gosh, I sort of look at things that way. I would have noticed that. Yeah, I get that feeling, that same feeling when I'm in this place. Yeah, I, I really feel comfortable in Cruden Bay. And so it's hard to grasp, but I feel there's something there that I don't know a connection that I don't really know what it is. It's not tangible, but it is a feeling. So I'm, I'm trying to be as open-minded about the, you know, about my famous relatives. There is a line that I constantly share with people, and now it's very appropriate, from Dracula. And, this, and the situation was when Van Helsing was trying to get the band of heroes to believe the presence of a supernatural. And these were, the band of heroes were not people that were very open-minded at the time. We had Dr. Seward, who was a doctor and a scientist and a newspaper man and his wife, and then the aristocrat Holmwood and then the American Morris. He said, there are mysteries in life which men can only guess at, which age by age they may solve only in part. So when you put that in perspective, at the end of the Victorian era, there was a lot of change going on. Scientific right. theory was rising to the surface. Charles Darwin had just published in 1859, Origin of the Species, which rocked the scientific and religious world you know, on their behind. So there was a lot going on scientifically. Electricity was coming in to replace sort of gas lighting and so on. So people couldn't understand things and they wanted to desperately. But Bram is saying, look, just because we can't understand it right now doesn't mean you can't accept it. If you keep an open mind, you may be able to deal with something, process it, act upon it, and later on we may figure out how the heck it got there. So it's a little bit like all these folks that I meet at conventions I go to, paranormal research. You know, they, we can't always explain the aura and the feelings they get when they go do investigations, but they feel it, that's legit. They feel something. Now, yes, yeah, some of them are phonies and those, get, those people get proven to be phonies, but I don't think all of them are. And I think Bram Stoker was at that time writing Dracula when Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a good friend of his, was investigating and interested in spirituals and Mark Twain, a neighbor of Bram's. All these, all these things going on, it was sort of the intelligentsia of the time that we're looking at, you know, what happens after our body dies. Right. And religion at that point have been pretty heavy handed in telling us everything. And now people are looking for more. They want to know more. They're inquisitive by nature. We want to know more. And what else is out there? We're not sure. But that's, those are the things Bram weaves into the fabric of Dracula because it's woven into his own personal fabric. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned earlier, like what would be a place I would love to go? And I have to say, when I went to Ireland, um, 
as I don't know, a switch flipped. I was very inspired there. That's when I first started writing fiction many years ago. And I didn't know at the time that I do have a lot of ancestors from Ireland. My other ancestors are from Scotland. And, you know, Mary Shelley's work is also near and dear to my heart. Although I have to say, I like Dracula better than Frankenstein as a book, but that's just me. But, you know, she also was banished from the household and spent the summer up in the Orkney Isles, which I have not been up there, but apparently it's very barren and very spooky. So I still need to go explore those parts of Scotland um, further because I know I have ancestors there and I just can't wait to get back to Ireland as well. Those are very inspiring places. And I, I think it speaks to though, like would everybody be inspired there? I, I still think there's some ancestral energy there that has to be coming into play where you and I are having this discussion and why those yeah. places are so special, you know? Well, you know, even, even if you don't go there because your ancestors are there, they're still incredible beautiful places to go they're, they're friendly they're safe the, the yes. scenery is incredible you know if, if you like to hike you know there's there's plenty of trails if you don't like to hike and you want to do tours to castles or or whiskey sampling you could do that um you know i i've just started to actually lead tours i took a, a, a 120th anniversary tour to places where bram was inspired to write Dracula and took notes in Whitby, which is on the Yorkshire coast. And then, and, and I had six people with me from a company called Experience Transylvania. Um, and then we went to Edinburgh, Scotland, where Bram actually, uh, with Henry Irving and Ellen Terry, opened a theater there for his theatrical work. And then we went over to um, Aberdeen, then up to Cruden Bay, where we actually spent May 26th for a, a large um, public gathering with a civic reception with government officials because I had actually donated a large plaque to go on the outside of the hotel, the same one that Bram stayed in called the Camonic Arms Hotel that showed places where Bram stayed, places that he referenced in his novels um, and, and sort of helped put it on the tourist trail. So yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, in the area. And then you can go further up north to where you're talking about more remote, really beautiful spots as well. So those are on the map, uh, you know, trying to help people go there, even if they don't take one of the tours with me and experience Transylvania, go to places like Whitby, take your copy yeah. of Dracula, look around and see what inspired Bram. Chapter six, seven, and eight are actually almost word for word, still relevant today. When you, when you walk around the town, you can see all the things he mentioned, the 199 steps, St. Saint, Saint Mary's Church and the Whitby Abbey and all these other locations and, and the same thing in Cruden Bay. So uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you, you and I feel that way about going to some of these places, picking up the vibe or just enjoying you know, the, the tourism element of it. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, Scotland and Ireland, you really can't go wrong there, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's absolutely yeah. no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then there's Transylvania. Um, you know, I do lead the tours over there because yeah, you, you need to go and find out. And this is one of the real dilemmas is how much did Bram Stoker know about Vlad the Impaler? And I now know exactly what he learned. And that's all in the annotated Dracula. It's a, I know what books he looked at, how it was referenced. Did he actually use... Vlad Dracula as a inspiration for his Count Dracula. And I'll just tell you this partially, but there was others Ooh. as well. And then, so you go visit some of the castles associated with Vlad Dracula, but then in a different part of the country, farther north, you go visit the places where Bram Stoker actually set the novel Dracula. And I'll tell you this, because of these notes that are referenced in the new annotated Dracula, and because Hans de Roos, a Dutch scholar, was able to decipher these lines of longitude and latitude in Bram's notes in the Rosenbach Museum, we now know exactly where Bram chose to place the action at the end of the novel and where his fictional castle Dracula really is. And, and here's the hint. It's not Bram Castle 400 miles to the south. Bram used that for the exterior of his castle, but the location where all the action happened and the actual castle is a fictional castle, but it's 400 miles to the northeast. And here's another little teeny little spoiler alert. The interior of the castle that's up on this mountaintop in Transylvania 
is the castle from Cruden Bay, Scotland, where Bram spent these holidays. So he took the interior of a castle that he visited, the exterior from a castle that he read in the, and, and saw in these two books in the London Library, merged them together and put them in an appropriate place in Northern Transylvania. And it's all in the notes. You just have to know how to read them and put the pieces of the puzzle together. We need to check it out, friends, definitely. The other thing I wanted to mention, though, is you have a fabulous website called bramstokerestate.com. Amazing. You can <laughs> dive in there. I will have the yep. link to that. So you've got um, a lot of research on there. You've got maps of these locations that we're talking about. Um, that is a really cool website you put together there. Yeah, I hope people will visit at bramstokerstate.com. You can incidentally, shameless plug, you can buy all my books there. Uh, we, yes. we put up a, a, a signature shop there. So all those are available there. And also we make it available to scholars to either you know, look at it for research or put some of your research on here. So we, it's, a, it's a sharing place where people want to get to know more about Bram Stoker and more about Dracula. And you can find more information about my tours on dakerstoker.com that's got information about all these tours that we do as well i still want to go to transylvania and you would definitely be the person to take us there that sounds well fantastic. you know we've delayed the tours uh we're, we're starting back up again in june you know because of the proximity of romania to the ukraine war there was a lot of a lot of right. refugees coming into um northern romania and that was putting a strain on sort of the infrastructure but apparently it's settled down now. And my, my, my business partners that actually live in Northern Transylvania said, it's okay to go back, but let's wait until June yeah. um, uh, of 2023. So here's the challenge to you and your listeners, Shelly. If you guys you know, get together, there's, there's nothing better than sort of a group of like-minded people on a tour together. Um, put together a group of folks and, and let's go. You'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot, you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, if you're into hiking, boy, the mountains in Transylvania are gorgeous, and, and we will actually go to that site. Um, you don't have to go to the site if you're not into hiking five miles up, up a, you know, up, up a mountain. It's not like this. It's, you know, gradual. But if you want to do that, the, the, the guy that uh, runs the B&B is like, he makes this incredible meal, and we have it on the site where the, where the castle was. So uh, you, can, you can organize your people, Shelly, but that'd be so much fun to go as a group. Absolutely. Man, that sounds like a blast. So before we finish this incredible discussion, I do want to talk for a moment about the gentleman who you researched this book with. Tell us what happened on that. We were talking about this before the show, kids. I want you to hear this. This is really interesting. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it, it is interesting and it's sad in a way. And sad, um, yes. Robert A. Timbasang had MS. Um, but he managed to continue to be one of the foremost world's expert in vampires. He had like the biggest library of vampire books. Um, and, and he was a heck of a resource and a scholar. And it took us two years, as I said, at the top of the show to do this, this, uh, this annotated Dracula together. And a month after we finished, you know, he, he wanted to keep tinkering with it. I said, okay, we're done. We're done. This is the 18th draft. We're done. Um, Robert was experiencing chest pains and his wife took him to the hospital and he called me and he said, you know, Dacre, geez, I'm, I'm in the hospital. I've had a, a minor heart attack. They're going to have to go in and put in a stint. So I'm here for a couple of days until they can do it. Yeah, gosh, darn it. Yeah, it really ticks me off. I got to be back home working on stuff. And you know, he was an impatient sort of guy and they've had him on blood thinners so that they could get ready to do this operation. And, um, he got out of bed to go to the, the bathroom and, and fell and, and banged his head and mm. ended up having an internal hemorrhage. And I don't think he planned it this way, but much like Renfield in Dracula, who ended up having a serious internal bleeding and brain hemorrhage in 20, chapter 21, they, they couldn't even do the surgery on him because he, he, he passed away mm. um, right there in the hospital. But his, his wife called me and said, Dacre, I have to tell you, um, he passed away very peacefully. He, he never regained full consciousness. But as, I, as he was lying there in bed, his eyes opened because she, I was reading to him some of his favorite stories, just you know, connecting with an unconscious husband. 
And uh, she said it was, it was beautiful in a way because at the very end, he looked at me, took a deep breath and a sigh, and then just expired. Wow. So he left on his own terms, Shelley. Mm -hmm. He left us a heck of a legacy in, in many books, but also this is his last work. And I feel it was my duty to get it out. Uh, a good friend of his and a gentleman I know as well, Jay Gordon Melton, helped me write his obituary, which ended up going online. And then we added to that, and that became the dedication page to this 125th version of, of uh, anniversary edition, the annotated Dracula, uh, dedicated to Robert and, and all his good contributions to vampire literature in the world. And, and again, he lives on in the pages of this book and all the scholarship that he has provided to uh, his future readers. I say interesting earlier, again, not that it's not sad, but it is so fascinating. I mean, this had to have been the icing on the cake of a beautiful career. I mean, it's just meant to be. I guess God said, well, you did it. We're ready. Time your to time, go. Your, you your know? Time I mean, is it's up. incredible. Yeah, Robert, your time is up. What else you got for us? <laughs> just, yeah. just a minute. I got, I've got to work on this with Daker, <laughs> which yeah. we did. No, you've worked on it. Good yeah, job. Time to go. Uh, yeah, it's exactly. So that, yeah, it, in a way, you know, it's nice to look at the, the upside because as you and I both know, you know, there may be a lot more to the afterlife than we think. Maybe Robert's up there and he's pointing me saying, okay, there's a, there's an edit on page 135 you got to get to. <laughs> there's, there's something else you got to do here. And, and that's, you know, we keep playing with it, but it should be out in a couple of weeks by Hellbound Press. It'll be available on Amazon. And uh, I hope everybody thinks, you know, fondly of it and remembers Robert and, you know, and me as well, even though I'm not gone. But, uh, you know, as our, as our contribution to keeping Bram Stoker's legacy and his writing process alive, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I know Robert is as well. Yeah, it's an absolutely incredible work. Um, it's just incredible for fans. And again, if you haven't actually read this actual story, friends, which I know there's a lot of people, I mean, this isn't Twilight, okay? This is this is legit. This is where it started. This is the origin of one of the biggest pieces of archetypal consciousness that's in the world today. It's incredibly well done. And the annotated version to me is exciting because I like to get into the minds and go into the source. And so we're finally getting to the real source of what Bram truly intended when he created this. And I just know he's got to be so proud of you, Dacre. I mean, this is incredible. Everything you've put together since we very first met, I mean, has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, friends, you've got to go see Bram Stoker, state.com, dacrestoker.com. Check out these tours. I'm going to have the links below. And um, I just say, keep going. This is, it's an incredible journey you're on and it's just been fun to watch. Thank you, Shelly, and thank you very much for taking the time to allow me to share it with you and, and your listeners. So yeah, hopefully we'll all get together at, at a convention or, or a tour somewhere. So uh, happy 125th to all of you. Yes, happy 125th. All right, friends, we've done it again, another episode of Healing Arts. So you need to check this out. It's one of my favorite things. If you want to know some of my favorite things, these are them. So you need to check it out. And we've had so much fun today with Dacre, and I will see you next time on Healing Arts. All right, so we got through our first episode of season 13. Yay! And so we've got some guided imagery and some different things that I'm doing with you coming up. We've also got Paul Selig and his guides will be coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, last time Paul was on the show, he had just relocated to Maui because it was in the middle of the pandemic. And so people were like, why didn't you ask him to talk to the guides? You know, so the guides definitely have something to say. And I hope that you will tune into that episode, as well as some of these guided journeys that we're going to be doing together. And we've got more fun guests coming up as the season progresses. So have an amazing week. Take care of yourself. Have fun. Happy Halloween season. Check out the Dracula book. I think it's wonderful. But as I was telling Dacre, you know, I love that book. So anyway, hope you're doing well, my dear. Please take care of yourself. And I'll see you next time on Healing Arts.
guess what? My new book, Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds, is coming out in October, and you can pre-order the book now. Do you want to learn about your past lives in Egypt, in Rome, in Greece, or did you fly around in a spaceship in another dimension, in another lifetime? You can explore all of this and more in my new book. So thanks in advance for pre-ordering, and we'll be talking more about past lives in ancient lands and other worlds in the coming weeks and months. Guess what? I've got a new book coming out July 8th called Journeys Through the Akashic Records. In this book, I will share tons of guided journeys that you can take to access multidimensional realms where you can find the answers to all of the big questions in your life. We, of course, will have past life regressions. We will have finding our soul groups, understanding our soul purpose, doing soul retrievals. Um, There's a journey called Before You Arrived, where you can find out the plan you made shortly before your current life began, and tons and tons more information. This is the first time ever that I have compiled some of the super secret stuff that I've been doing with my clients for 20 years, and I really want you to get a copy of my book. It's coming out July 8th, but you can pre-order it now, and I'll leave the links below. So thanks in advance, and stay tuned for tons of um, exciting events, uh, release parties, and all kinds of stuff coming up as July 8th gets closer. So have a great day and enjoy Journeys Through the Akashic Records. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady. Lady.